in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for that is right. Now that's an excellent verse. If those that, uh... Oh, I didn't mean it to upset you. I didn't write it. You'll come round, kid. Honour your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life in the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, whatever that means. <laughs> Instead, bring them up, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There is the Lord's instruction that we need to give to our kids. Now, now why is that? Well, hang on. Now, just let's stop a minute and think here. We're about to enter the 21st century. This is the third millennium since the Christian era began. Are we, are we really serious in thinking that the Bible is the right book for Jonathan and John to teach Luke to help him grow right as a young man. Now, come on, let's be honest. That is, do we have a suspicion lurking somewhere that, it's, that the Bible is a kind of fading light that's more or less been extinguished? You know, about as relevant as a horse and trap. You know, because people with horses and traps used to have Bibles, didn't they? Oh, you know, about as relevant to the 21st century as a gramophone. Remember, I remember when I was a cow, it's a long time ago, but gramophones were brilliant. Uh, oh, they used to scratch a bit, and uh, if you kick them, they jump. But basically speaking, for the middle of the 20th century, they were a boon, weren't they? Those of you that remember, nod, David Harlow. Yes, thank you. <laughs> but is the Bible really the book for the 21st century? I know we can say these things for romantic reasons and a bit of nostalgia because it's the sort of thing to say. But in practical terms, are we really saying to this pair, look, the Bible is the most important instruction that you'll give Luke? Well, I want us to think about this for a minute. Now think back. Oh, so let's, let's ponder for a minute. What has been the effect of the Bible on the first two centuries? Thinking of our own nation. I wonder what the accumulative benefit of the Ten Commandments has been on England over the last recorded time. I wonder what kind of a civilization we would have been if English law had not had the scriptures as its foundation point from day one, whenever that was. I, I wonder. I was reading the Good Samaritan in my Bible reading this morning. I wonder what the effect on this nation has been over hundreds of years of people just being told the story of the man who fell among thieves from between Jerusalem and Jericho and about the two religious idiots who walked past on the other side of the road and how his political enemy had compassion on him, stopped, picked him up, stuck him on his donkey and coughed up at the inn in order to get him fixed. I wonder over hundreds of years how many lives have been saved because of that little bit of Bible. I fancy the answer is enormous. I could go on, couldn't I? On the importance of marriage. 
on learning to, to accept godly authority, on caring for one another, on the value of work, and the rightness and dignity of labour, on how to raise kids, on how to behave as an employee or an employer, how to look after the environment, How to know God. How to know healing. How to know peace. You see the horrible truth is. That Luke. Is the third generation. Where the influence of Bible. Is significantly fading. Luke's generation. By and large. Will grow up. Without Bible instruction. His mum and dad. But for some influences, his genera their generation has largely grown up without. The generation before, there was more. There was even some in the school in those days. And that more kids went to Sunday school. Before that, but Luke is at the disadvantage where actually very little will be taught. So you have, an, you have a response. You didn't know you were getting married, did you? <laughs> I normally speak like this when people are getting hitched, but never mind, I'll do it now. You see, there's this responsibility to train and to instruct. There was Bill, when he prayed, made reference to a passage in Deuteronomy where this is going, you know, this is 3,000 years before Christ. So we've got about five millennia stretching here of good. Godly Bible sense says this. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. I do like that word. Impress them. You know, there are certain things that you have to impress on your son with a slipper. It's a different kind of impression. Isn't it? Always without anger and always explained but the Bible says enough about corporal punishment to know that where it's done firmly and in love, it's to the benefit of the child, and where it's not done at all, it can be to the ruin of the child. If you don't believe me, read Proverbs. There's a nice bit of controversy. Impress them on your children. There he goes on. Talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road, or hopefully up a mountain. When you lie down and when you get up. As part of the normal explanation of life. It's as important to explain who God is, and who Jesus is, and where heaven is, and whether you can get there in a space rocket. It's as important to explain the things that are in the Bible as it is to teach him to tie his shoelaces. Even in the days of Velcro. And we've probably all heard of Abraham. There's a very interesting verse in Genesis 18 about Abraham. Now he was the man, he was the, the patriarch, the guy at the head of it all. And uh, he was the one to whom all the promises came. And this is what it says of Abraham. For I have chosen him, says God, so that he will direct his children and his household. After him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord 
will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Now what a remarkable condition. Did you ever know that before? That one of the ways in which Abraham was to show faith and trust and obedience to God was to teach his kids and their kids and make sure that they understood what he knew of God and of his word. That the Bible is full of men who apprenticed others about what God had said. We call it mentoring, I think, today. It's what James Dobson calls about the essential, essential responsibility of parenting to hand the baton from one generation to the next. It's critical. You have no more important job, whatever they say it were. You see, it's not salt or Sunday school or definitely not day school which will teach our kids what they need to know. It's only mum and dad. And unfortunately, Robert Rakes was a great guy. He started Sunday schools in Gloucester around about the beginning of the last century. And uh, much, much good came from it. But one of the great losses that came out of it was that parents began to cop out of their responsibilities to teach Bible to their kids. And before that, it used to be a regular responsibility and things that parents did. That fathers, as soon as they could read, would begin to explain Bible to their kids. There used to be a thing called a family Bible. Honest. They did. Now my, my family weren't Baptists, whatever one of them is. And they weren't Methodists either. But they had one of these. They, they would have described themselves as being good church people. Proper job. Dressed up on Sunday's job. Prayer book from the vicar job. But there was to be a family Bible. Now where did that come from? Because it's a very strange idea, except as an ornament somewhere, or something to hold the bed up when the leg falls off, that it's a very strange idea for us today. But mum and dad, have to raise their kids and train them in the instruction of the law. You don't, don't pass any delegation to the school teachers. Don't actually hand on any, any responsibility for the final product to their Sunday school teachers either. The responsibility is for the family. The church will be weakened in our nation, and I suspect the, work, the church is weakened in our nation because... There are no longer family, but I don't know what the modern version is. It's probably, it's probably on the computer, you know, with, 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 with multicolored graphics. I don't mind. Bill Gates probably already got it, but the point is there has to be some version of this if our children and if Luke is going to grow right. Instruction in Bible is critical, not only for Luke and for the family, but also, I suspect, for the nation. One man said that no man is educated, truly educated, who is ignorant of the Scripture. And no one who is knowledgeable of Scripture can be said to be uneducated. You see, where else do we learn clearly what love is, what honesty is, what forgiveness is, what duty is? That's a good Victorian word. What honour is? 
What mercy is. What purity in relations is about. You won't read that in the manuals today either. What unselfishness is. What Sunday is. And that all these things are right. Where else will we learn what adultery is? (laughs) You'll get that off the telly. And what hatred is and bitterness. And violence and theft and selfishness. And that all these things are wrong. I tell you. We are reaping an awful harvest in our day for a nation that is now three generations away from where it was normal to have a Bible in your home and for that Bible to be read and talk to your kids. If anything is going to undo the fabric of our nation, it'll be that one solemn fact. I do commend you, Christian. Tyndale's vision... Was, to, was for the ploughman, every ploughman in England, to have a Bible in his hand that he could read in his own language. That's why he translated the scriptures in the first place. And I don't think I'm being exaggerating too seriously to say that the Bible became England's genius. Scotland's strength and Wales' inspiration. But if that is lost in the world out there, do make sure that it's not lost at home. See, we do have to teach and guide and counsel. Liz was telling me yesterday, um, we were just talking about the subject, and she she remembered with her grandfather and his pear tree, she could never understand how he got his pear tree to go along the wall in the way that he did. And he didn't do it by getting hold of every branch and giving it a sharp twist, because the branch would have snapped. And so often in our instruction, we try to do it all at once and it, it can have the same effect. But he didn't do that. He, he put a nail strategically here or there and generally edged the branch in the direction he wanted it to go. Slowly, gently guided it. But having said all that, however well you teach, there are limits, aren't there? They, they grow up. That, that excellent invention of the harness. Don't you wish there was a teenage equivalent? You remember when he was little? <coughs> and it, it was like a dog lead, really. It's brilliant. And, uh, you know, they started to go the wrong way. And if you pulled them hard enough, you were the right... You know, you could have quite a bit of fun with them, really. Um, and it was a harness. But unfortunately... Uh, there's no harness as they get older, and then they put one on you. <clears throat> you see, ultimately, however good you are at the nurture and instruction of the Lord, at the end of the day, it's who holds the reins that's important. And there are some things that only God can do. As only God can give somebody a new heart and a new start. There's only God that can bring fresh hope. There's only God can do what Michael told us about. That, that there is no psychologist on earth that can explain in human terms what happened to that man. There's no one. You see, as parents we can do our best job. But at the end of the day, if someone's going to walk through, it has to be God. And 
the remarkable thing is about this Bible is that it's more, and sometimes we get this mixed up. We think that it's a book you can stuff your head full of. Actually, there is a certain amount of Bible truth that we can hold in our heads. But the brilliant thing about the Bible is that it doesn't stay in your head. It's the Word of God. That, uh, the, the writer of the Hebrews says that it's, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And it, it gets between the bits of you. And it starts to sort you out inside. And uh, Paul, writing to the Romans, says that, that faith actually comes by hearing the word of God. And I, you can't account for it but that there's a God in heaven. But when somebody starts to expose themselves to the truths of Scripture to their head, something starts to happen in here. It's brilliant. You see... At the beginning of the verse, he's talking here about bringing your children and the instruction and training of the Lord. At the end of the same chapter, the, 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 the Apostle Paul is saying, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And actually what happens, if our hearts are open and willing, that God will take this same Word, and it won't be just stuffy ideas in your head, it will actually start to change us from the inside out. And that God, by his Spirit, can make a man's heart new. The Bible is full of it. And Peter, Peter, who denied the Lord and then got himself sorted out, wrote a letter. And in the first chapter of Peter's letter, he says this, For you have been born again. New heart, new start, new hope, New on the inside. Clean, forgiven, made new. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of the imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. That this, this Bible not only will make a man smart, it will actually change me from the inside out. Every other remedy whether it's trying to educate me or wash me or do something, always has the disadvantage that it can only deal with the outside. It can't deal with what goes on in here. And, and God wants to deal with us in here. That's what's happened to this man. The Lord Jesus, by his Spirit, put his hand on Michael's shoulder and started to whisper in his ear. And things began to happen in his heart where he wanted to understand. He wanted to know. And so this extraordinary season of reading in order to get it. And it didn't just go in here, did it? It went in here. And baptism, that we're now going to witness, I hope you can stay just long enough to see it. Baptism is a picture of this. But uh, adult baptism is simply laying somebody so that they go under the water as a picture of an old life that's ended and rising up from the water as a picture of a new life that's begun. A, a, a picture of somebody who's, been, who's turned round from going their own way to go God's way. Turned round and turned inside out. The old is over. The new is beginning. The power of Jesus' resurrection 
has actually begun and started in here. What an enormous potential when the power of the resurrection is not just something I think about here, but something I experience here. So those are the two aspects. It fits quite, quite well today with these two events at the beginning and the end of our service together. Don't fail to instruct him or train him. If he fails all his GCSEs and is as thick as that floor, it'll be the genes, but anyway, that's not my point. <laughs> and if he never has what you call a good job, and he grows up to know the scripture, so he's a good husband and a good father and a good neighbour and a good laugh. And if he grows up and his relationships are rich and he's somebody that helps the man that's in trouble, your instruction will have been a success. If he passes all his GCSEs and A-levels, and gets a double first at Cambridge, and gets a right good job in the city and earns pots of money, and messes up his marriage and, and damages his kids, and gets up his neighbour's nose, and abuses people at work, you'll have failed. Do you agree? And the Bible is what will help you get it right that's the challenge of Luke to you this morning I think the challenge of Michael to us all is has the bit of the Bible that's got into my head has the Holy Spirit made it real in my heart has the Jesus who died and rose again that you know of in history become personal for you in experience do you, do you know that transformation of life and direction that Michael has described in his own life since Easter, where the Lord Jesus comes in and makes us new from the inside out. You can